This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of Kick-Ass International Thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And Taylor, I have to share a podcast production secret with you. Now that uh, we have, over the course of the last several weeks, I made the mistake of joking by taking a deep breath, right, as Taylor was getting ready to start. Because, because unbeknownst, I do that. unbeknownst to her, I, I think she always does it, and that's how I can tell. I can see the mark on the on the graph, on the audio graph, when she takes that deep breath, and I know to start the show right after that. So That's it makes hilarious. it really easy to pinpoint <laughs> to pinpoint that place. And now it's it now it's become a running joke over the course of the last several weeks to uh, Yeah, and, and now to, he's made me so self-conscious of it and he doesn't realize that he's totally ruined it for himself, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully not. Um all right, so through the magic of uh podcasting. It seems like it's a week after the last episode, but in reality it's like five minutes. So I had mentioned uh, that I had some questions for Taylor during the last episode, and these sort of relate to all of the last three episodes, but I, I want to kind of get into some of the questions that I wanted to ask. I just knew I couldn't interrupt the flow during her presentation over the course of the last few weeks, but one of the things that that just occurs to me in listening to this, as you use the phrase masterclass when talking about listening to episodes 185 and 186. And, uh, you know, I was kind of thinking the same thing as, as you were going through all of this. There's so much information there, and I'm scribbling notes, and I'm looking down and trying to read my handwriting, and I'm thinking to myself, how did you ever learn this stuff on your own? What was, and I, I don't know that there's an actual like you set out and you broke things down in a, in a certain level the way you're doing it now to see how other people did it and to see if that could apply to you. But I'm, I'm just curious, not so much how you came to come up with these rules, but how you knew nine years ago how to apply what now are turning into rules into something that flowed so beautifully as a chapter introduction in the innocent. I don't know, but I, I can tell you that the rest of the book does not live up to those high expectations. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've, I've blogged about this. Um, there I'm book clubbing as I go. Those are free posts on the Patreon account. If you want to read my thoughts on my own work. And I, I can tell you that as far as finding a way to analyze it, that has only come about as part of the process of teaching, like when people send in material and I'm trying to explain to them what, why things work the way they work, and I'm trying to find language to articulate what I understand in my head as a concept. Because as we've discussed prior, I don't really think in words. I think in ideas and constructs and whatever. And so I have this sense of understanding 
But until I actually am put in a position of trying to explain it to somebody, I've never been able to articulate it. Like these tutorials are generally the first time I'm articulating something that I sort of grasp on a conceptual level. I can't say how I knew that back then, but I can say that I didn't know enough back then because as I read my work now, I've only gotten to chapter nine on The Innocent, through chapter nine on The Innocent. I just put a really, really long post up that goes into some of the struggles that I'm having with the writing and reading my own writing in this book. But I think my struggles with it are twofold in that the material itself is so personal. And so I'm I'm not reading it the same way that I would read any other of my work or anybody else's work because there's just, um, there's more emotional investment in it. But I find that the writing issues I'm coming up against in The Innocent are very different than the writing issues I'm seeing in The Informationist. So I can see growth in myself as a writer as I read those words. And I can also see new forms of struggle. Um, and so I, I think probably what happened with these earlier chapters is I have a tendency, as I've written about in one of those posts, um, the, I put more work and more effort into the opening chapters of any work than any of the rest of it, because those are the most important ones. And I think we discussed that on the, the podcast, too, possibly. I don't remember. Um, but the point being that I probably went back and really worked them over multiple times after I had finished writing the rest of the book. And I just kept working them until my brain stopped twitching. And the the level of things that make my brain twitch has gotten... Um, there, there's fewer, little, less and less wiggle room between twitch and no twitch um, than there used to be. But I guess in those particular chapters, I was just maybe paying a lot more attention. I really, honestly, I don't know. What do you, what do you mean there's less and less wiggle room between twitch and no twitch? Well, the things that make my brain twitch now, it's very highly, I'm highly sensitive to stuff. I'm very aware of the way words work in a way that I didn't used to be. So obviously with that book, I kept working on it until I felt it accomplished what it needed to accomplish. And I I was fine with it to an extent, at least enough to sign off on it. And now I read it and I'm not fine. So it's the, the sensitivity, like there's less and less uh, room for veering off an expected cleanness or an expected form of storytelling, things that I used to think were okay, I now can tell are not because my level of skill has developed to a point where my expectations are really, really, really ridiculously high. And I, I want to get back to, to what we were talking about, but I, I have a question about what you're talking about now. And that <laughs> is that if you compare now to then, if, if it's even possible to do that, with the during the writing process, not so much reading something that you wrote nine, well, probably wrote 10 or 11 years ago, um, but comparing the writing process now, how much of that twitchiness do you get out of the way early on as opposed to later? Well, it's kind of situational, but 
what I'm running up against in reading The Innocent is it feels very close to being the equivalent of what one of my first drafts would look like now to me. The informationist didn't feel like that because the informationist was just kind of really wordy and um, I, there was a lot of really awkward dialogue and all of that would have been cleaned up long before I even got to the end of the first draft because it, in my work now, I, I would have seen it and be like, this is ridiculous. And I would have kept working on those conversations until they, they read like how real people would talk. Um, so in The Innocent, I had made a lot of progress in that. So what I'm seeing now are, it's pretty clean in terms, like it doesn't have that same level of wordiness. There's a lot more fluidity and ease in the way ideas are conveyed. And so it's it's so close to what one of my first drafts was like now that I have this really intense itch to fix it because it's <laughs> easily fixable. I could see really easy ways to fix this. And I can't touch it. And so it's a little embarrassing. <laughs> like, oh, God, this is, this is. But I, I have to remind myself, like, I, when, I, when I read it and I feel so embarrassed, and, and not just because of where it's at, like, craft-wise, but, and again, I, I put this in the most recent post, you go read my whole thoughts on it if you want to. There are, are sort of some ideas, the way that I convey things that, is still rather immature or naive. And it's just, I would never do that now, but it's there. I can't change it. So I feel this sense of embarrassment. Like it doesn't matter that I wrote this book 10 years ago or however long ago, people read it today. And as far as they're concerned, that's me today putting those. And it's just like, oh my God. So this is the sense of shame almost like I'm being publicly humiliated. And, and there's nothing I can do about it. But then I have to remind myself and I go back and I, I today I actually did this because yesterday was the day that I, I posted this thing. And I went and I read some of the reviews that it was getting in the press. It got a star. This book got a star reviewed in Publishers Weekly. It was um, listed as one of the best thrillers of the year in some, I think, San Francisco something something. Like people were really, really impressed with it at the time. And I don't know why, but it, it, I know it has to do with my level of expectation from myself and what I know I'm capable and, and being embarrassed by what I see on the page there, because it's just like, I just rushed some unfinished work out to press or something, which I didn't, but it's what it feels like now. So I have to keep reminding myself that my reality is not the same as the reading reality, you know, like my, my life is words. That's all I do is I work with words. If I'm not writing words, I'm teaching about words. I, I, I don't think in words, but when I'm working with words, my entire focus is on the structure and the order and the syntax and communicating thoughts as clearly as possible. And if you knew how much time I spent even writing basic emails, <laughs> just answering emails, Getting the words right in those emails, I cannot not do that. And it's because that is the words are words are like the dough and I'm the baker. And you just don't you just do it. You do it right because it's that's how you're supposed to do it, right? And so there's this um <laughs> Yeah, it, it's hard <laughs> going back and reading my stuff now. <laughs> it is. 
All right. If, if it, so, is it a blessing or a curse that you can't go back and change it? Well, I mean, I suppose in a way it's a blessing because I would waste my life. What's left, I would never be writing anything new. I would constantly be going back and trying to improve upon what's already there for no other reason than that I, I just don't like the way it is. Like, it's not going to make the book better. You know, it, it just make it better for me. <laughs> so, um, so in that sense, it's a blessing. And, and I would say that the way my brain works in terms of working with words is maybe partially a curse because it's why I'm so slow. It is I, I could I could do so much more if it didn't get all OCD on me of, you know, syntax and the exact like like that sentence we were the paragraph we were talking about in last week's show about how I I didn't like the way that that paragraph started with not anxious and nauseous. And I would have spent mm -hmm. an hour going back and re readjusting it. Why? To what purpose? Nobody's going to care. So. You know, blessing I can't go back and redo it again. Curse that I feel like I have to. <laughs> and I, you know, when we first, in the first episode, the first part of the of the three, when you mentioned that your brain was twitching over that um, that particular line, and I just blanked, I just blanked on the line. But the, you know, those two words that um, that were causing your brain to twitch, and I've just kept reading it over and over again. It's like that just feels perfect to me. I, I can't imagine what was making your brain twitch. And it wasn't until the third episode when you started talking about it. And then it made more sense because it was doing more than just the one thing. And it was, if you looked at it just sequentially, we need to be doing this before we do that, then it was violating that principle, but not really because it was doing two things at once. And it caused you then to amend one of the rules. Yeah, I let it go at that point. I was like, okay, it's serving two purposes, fine, whatever, move on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk about these rules. Because I, I was writing furiously, and I will, I will get it better when I'm, when I'm going through and editing the podcast. But again, we're recording this you know, just a few minutes after we, we ended the last episode. So I have as, these are... These are my interpretation of, of what you said, and I want you to correct, we, correct me where I'm wrong, because in some cases I'm going to be wrong. So there are two things that we need to have that we always need, and we need them in the right order. The first is that we need to be able to understand who the character is. And I wrote down the point of view character, but that's not really true. It's who, who are we looking at? Who are we, whose eyes are we seeing this through kind of thing? But then you sort of amended or, that a little bit yes. to be, you know, it could be this. Or who is, is this, it focusing on? Who is it focusing on? Okay, so that's actually a better way of, of, um, of maybe saying it. Who? Okay, so, so that's pretty much right for that. And then the second one is where that character's body is in time and space and place. And that needs to be done, and I amended this afterwards um, when, we, when, when you went through that whole process of explaining why it, your brain was twitching. And then I, I put a note in, it needs to be done before the character moves or speaks. So is that, is that the amended second rule now? Or while they're in motion. 
because you can establish where the character is in time and space and place through movement, just as you can do it by establishing it before movement. Okay. So, and, and we, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, just as we, we discuss this, you know, I'm reminded of, you know, there's different styles of writing and, you know, there's exceptions to every rule. And when I, when I teach about this type of stuff, I'm teaching it as if people are writing this type of same type of genre fiction as me, you know, whether it's thrillers or suspense or whatever, this sort of, we follow a single, well, we start with a single protagonist or whatever the case is. And not all books are like that. And I'm really, I'm, what comes to mind right now is Neil Gaiman's book, um, The Graveyard Book, which is, um, I just love that story. And it's told about this boy. And it's almost like the way that it's told, it's almost as if there's a narrator that sort of telling the audience and describing what it is that he sees about this boy, right? And I don't have the book with me, so I cannot go back and look at the first pages and see if it really specifically follows these rules in that order. And But in that type of storytelling, which is this sort of omniscient um, character kind of and meanwhile, across town, sort of, of storytelling, which is really hard to pull off in this day and age, but he nails it. Mm-hmm. And that is, so there, if that's the type of storytelling, I mean, obviously these rules might not apply in that exact sense. Like, you can start telling a story about characters like that and say, you know, on this dark and stormy night in 1845, in this house on such and such and street where it was gloomy and this and that, there was a young couple looking over the the bed of their infant son, right? That violates every single rule that we just talked about to an extent. We just got all this mood and atmosphere, and then we're given the characters, and we don't know, are those the main characters that this is about? Now, that boy was blah, blah, blah. Okay, now we know that that boy is the character that we are talking about. But somehow, in that style of storytelling, we're still getting the elements because those characters haven't started moving or haven't started talking before we actually know who they are or where their bodies are in time, space, or place. It's just that there's this other stuff that came before it but the characters themselves are not the drivers of that other stuff if that makes any sense it does make sense and that's i i hesitated when i was reading like the amended part of the rule because i could think of books like you're describing where that's not the way they open and it's fine and i'm not trying to like nail down specific rules this is the way to do it what i'm trying to do is to come up with a list of things that we can look at and if if we see a scene opening that's not working for whatever reason we could apply these rules for lack of a better word to them and maybe something will jump out and we say, oh, oh, that's what it is. If I could fix this, sort of like, and we're going to get into more detail about this on a future show, thought, action, speech. Um, right. It's something that's simple. And if you get things in the right order, it makes it more clear for the reader. So that's kind of, 
that's kind of what I'm going at here. And I'm, I'm not trying to pin you down and, and say this is the only way that you can write a, a chapter open or a scene open or something like that, because we all understand there are lots of ways of, of writing a story. But, you know, part of the whole hack the craft idea is there are some simple rules that you can use as a framework for things. And I, I think this could become one of those frameworks. So I think, and I agree, and I think that based on what you just said, like if we had to go backwards at it, it would be, is there something that these characters, are the characters themselves doing or saying things before you even know who it is that is doing or saying those things? And if the answer to that is yes, then you have a problem because the reader doesn't know who you're talking about. So if you have chairs moving and doors flying open, you better have a freaking poltergeist <laughs> because <laughs> otherwise <laughs> this is not working unless we know who it is that's moving those chairs and opening those doors, right? Mm -hmm. And it's that concept of that's why we need to know who the character is and we need to know where their, their bodies are in time, space, or place as it relates to everything around them because you start throwing all this information at the reader and it doesn't, they don't have anything, they can't do anything with it. So that's really the ultimate um, concept behind it is whatever you do, don't have characters doing stuff and then we don't even know who's who's doing what okay. or saying what. So, so that's a sort of a combination of, of one and two then, basically. Yes. All right. So three, which is, I didn't completely understand this. So this is why I have a question about this. And, and three, what I have written down is a sense of atmosphere or mood to set the tone for the rest of the scene. Um, and that needs to be a part of, does that, is that a third thing or is it something that needs to be a part of one and two? See, it's, we're talking about elements, right? Things mm -hmm. that exist, but they don't have to be self-contained. Like you don't have to say it was a dark and stormy night. You can say, you know, the, the lightning made him wince. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, right now it's a stormy night um, without being told it's a dark and stormy night. So what it's doing is it's giving you this sense of how do you how do I feel right now? Do I feel trepidation? Does the character feel trepid? Like it's 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 texture. It's it's you if you if you smear a color of paint on a paper, that's color. That's fine. But without. Any is it acrylic? Is it oil? Is it is it you know watercolor? Like based on what that paint is, is going to completely affect our perception of the art, right? And so that's what this mood and atmosphere sense of it is giving you. Is what are we working with here? Is it is it happy? Is it sad? Is it is it it, it, and it can be expressed through voice, through the author's voice and writing style. If the if the author has this real sort of flowy, lyrical kind of happy cadence, then and you throw in these dark and gloomy elements, then you might be a little confused. 
But if you have dark and gloomy elements and just plain cadence, you're not confused. So it's just, it's this sense, it's, it's your voice, it's the word choices that you use. And if you have a room, if you're showing um, characters in a room and there's nothing to give you a sense. Is it daytime? Is it nighttime? Are they happy? Are they sad? Are they there for a funeral? Are they there for a birthday party? Those those details of funeral, birthday party, and all that, that's going to come much later. But if you establish a scene where it's just empty, there's no emotional anything to it, it's going to feel flat. And the, the other thing is the reader is going to impose their own idea of what's happening onto it. So if you write this scene where there's just a bunch of people getting together talking and it's neither happy nor sad, it's neither light nor dark, there's just people milling about, by the time we find out whether it's a party or a funeral or whatever, the reader has already put context into it. And if they get to another spot and they find out that it's completely opposite of what they thought it was. You've just ruined everything. That whole opening is trash now. they got to go back in their mind, completely rewrite it, completely reacquaint themselves with all the little details that came on. And so that's what mood and atmosphere is about, is so that the reader has this grasp of what it is they're supposed to be feeling or seeing very quickly from the front before you, have it, before you get to something that changes it all. Okay. All right. And then the next three, and I sadly only got two of the three, so you're going to have to look at your notes for this one. But the next three you referred to as, well, later in the show, you referred to the next three as details. And so maybe I wrote that down incorrectly, but one of the three, I, don't, I, I only have two, and I'm not sure what order they should come in, but one of the three is what other characters are present and where are they? Okay. Uh, the the other one I have is why is the character, and that would be the primary character. Why is that character where they are? Yeah. And what's the other the, one? Uh, the character's frame of mind. Character's frame of mind. Okay. Like what's going on inside their head, and and again, because all of this stuff needs to show up sort of at the beginning of these scenes or settings. We're not talking paragraphs. We're talking really quick flashes and all all these things are anchoring and they're settling us in they're getting us comfortable with what's about to come we have all the pieces in place we know what's going on in terms of where we're at we know whether we're in a comfy bean chair or sitting on the edge of a very rigid uncomfortable high top bar stool or something right so we know whether we can just settle in for the read but if you don't give all those elements to the reader, they, they kind of, they, they, um, they'll move forward with the story, but the brain instinctually knows there's something missing and it's got this placeholder that's just waiting for that to be filled in. And once it's got that, it's like, okay, and it lets go of all the little placeholders just holding on to it and it can just fall right into the story. But until you've satisfied those elements where the reader understands what's going on, understands how the character's feeling, why we're even here, what's even happening here, then they're just waiting. They're waiting for that, and they can't fully let go and fall. So your, your goal is to get the reader into the story as fast as possible so they can suspend disbelief, lose track of time, and think that, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. And if they're sitting there waiting, the longer they sit there waiting, 
to know when they can let go and just fall in, then the less pleasant it is. And the more they feel like this isn't really very good. Interesting. I have been out, I've been doing a lot of walking at night. Now, one of the, the blessings of the COVID-19 process uh, that, that we're all going through is for me, I'm, I'm going out and taking a walk every night after dinner, sometimes with my wife and sometimes by myself. And when I'm by myself, I listen to audiobooks. And I was listening to the opening of a book the other day, and this particular author gave a lot of information in the opening and I, I can't really apply, you know, this matrix to it, but I could, in my mind, I'm going, okay, check, 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 check. It's all there. And it's, you know, I like this opening. It felt really solid. And I felt like, as you said, as you say from time to time, you feel like you're in good hands. But it was not, it didn't have the level of elegance that the 152 words we've been talking about for the last three weeks had it was it well, was more even of my a, own work doesn't always have that level of elegance. right but I, my, my, <laughs> that's a really strong opening my point is that even if we're using these as rules if it strengthen strengthens our writings writing and and gives readers a sense that they're in good hands in the beginning of of a book they're more likely to continue reading more likely to to read you know the whole story and then want to read read more of our books. Even though it might not be super elegant, we have all the elements there and then we get better. Yeah, that's for sure about the getting better part. And having all the elements there matters. And I, I, I need to clarify that having all the elements there doesn't mean that you're info dumping or like, Here's all the things that right. you need to know. Right. It's just that the reader is anchored in the scene. They know whose head they're in. They have a sense of where bodies are, and they have a sense of what's around them. And then they can just let the rest of the story unfold as it goes because they, they're they fully involved in that small little bit. And, and I was thinking, I, I, I recently cracked open like an epic um, and just read the first few pages. And, you know, it opens with language that you have no idea what it means. It opens with characters that you have no idea what their role in the story is. And, you know, it, it might violate a few things in terms of disembodied voices or whatever. But that's so common that, you know, you just kind of roll with it. But for the most part, even though this was an unfamiliar world with an unfamiliar language, with unfamiliar um, everything about it, like, you know, nothing, you're just boom, dropped on this world. You knew whose head you were in. You knew what the character was doing. Like the character was walking, they were doing something. You knew what other characters were around there. You had a sense of mood and atmosphere. You had all these different elements. They were all there. You didn't know anything. But because all those elements were there, it's all right, let's see where this goes. Yeah. All right. So I thought, I thought that my questions might turn out to be chit-chat for this episode. It <laughs> they wound up being the episode, so um, we have we have an idea in the bank for uh, for next week. So I'm excited about that. Taylor, thank you very much for this for this series and and for taking the time to answer all these questions today. This has really been helpful and and a lot of fun. Oh. Thank you guys for forcing me to think and to figure this out for myself. And thank you also to um, the recent patrons who came on to help support the show. That means a lot. Um, 
even the small, the smallest thing that might not seem like it's a big deal to you is a really big deal to me because what it tells me is, hey, there's people listening who care and for whom this provides value. And it makes me want to do more of it because I don't want to be just talking to hear myself talk. So I just wanted to say thank you for that. Thank you for everybody who is a supporter of this show. It means a lot to me and I am happy to keep providing you hopefully useful information into the future. All right. So that is it for this week's show. Thank you guys very much for listening. We will be back in your ear again next Tuesday. See you next week.